0: Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, a podcast that takes just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Primack. On today's show, a new hurdle for the Sprint T-Mobile merger and what we really want from our news media. But first... YouTube under fire. So it's been a rough few weeks for the Google-owned video streaming giant, a lot of which was encapsulated in an incident last week involving conservative YouTube host Steven Crowder, who has nearly 4 million followers, and a Vox journalist named Carlos Maza. In short, Crowder has been hurling homophobic and racial insults at Mazza for years via YouTube and it received added attention after they were compiled in a so-called supercut. So, YouTube last Tuesday said that after several days of investigating, Crowder's comments, while hurtful, didn't violate its rules. Then, one day later, it made a policy change addressing less targeted forms of hate speech, something it said had been in the works for months and addressed supremacist content, like Nazi propaganda. But it said those new rules didn't apply to the Crowder situation. But then, literally just three hours later, and after lots of criticism, YouTube suspended Crowder from its program that lets creators run ads and share in revenue from its videos. In YouTube's words, Crowder had demonstrated, quote, a pattern of egregious actions that has harmed the broader community. End quote. So again, this Crowder Mazza thing is a one off situation, but it's reflective of YouTube's larger troubles when it comes to controversial content. Should it draw lines? If so, where does it draw those lines? And at the very least, could it come up with a clearer set of guidelines so that people at least have something specific to be angry about? The bottom line here, YouTube does not want to be in this situation, even though its parent company is all about ranking content based on perceived value but this minefield was entirely predictable and one that YouTube has a responsibility to navigate. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper with Axios Chief Technology Correspondent, Ina Fried. But first, this. There is more news out there than ever before, but these days it's harder than ever to find it and to know what to trust. Axios AM takes the effort out of getting smart by synthesizing the 10 stories that will drive the day and telling you why they matter. Subscribe at signup.axios.com. And now back to the ProRata Podcast. We're joined now by Axios Chief Technology Correspondent, Ina Freed. So, Ina, you've called YouTube the toughest issue facing Google right now. And this is a company under regulator investigation for things. There's going to be hearings on Capitol Hill today about big tech. Why is YouTube its biggest problem or its biggest challenge?
1: So the other things are business challenges. This one is a technical challenge. It's a societal challenge um, that they have to figure out where to draw lines and they don't like drawing lines. They don't like being in this position. Most of the big tech companies don't like having to figure out where the lines are around speech. But you break it, you buy it. I mean, they're all responsible for this. So I think, um, you know, Facebook, Google, Twitter, they've all got to figure out where the lines are around speech. And YouTube is a particular challenge. One of the things that makes it harder is video is actually harder. It's not as easy as text. So Twitter, you know, you're talking 140 characters. YouTube, you're talking video with, you know, thousands of words potentially that goes on for minutes. You've got sarcasm. You've got satire. You've got all these things. It makes it a tough challenge.
0: You interviewed Google CEO uh, Sundar Pichai for Axios on HBO this past weekend. you know, And you discussed YouTube with him. What do you think? And I'm asking you to kind of divine where, where his brain is on this. Do you think he views YouTube and, and what we're discussing here as a PR problem, more of a technological challenge, as you were just saying, a moral challenge? How do you think he view, or really just a giant pain in the ass he wishes he didn't have to deal with?
1: I think it's it's really a technical and it's a moral challenge. So the technical side is figuring out how to do a good job of assessing quality. The The moral side is figuring out where those lines are. I think both are real. Both are things he takes very seriously. Um, you know, he's not directly obviously Susan Wojcicki is the CEO of YouTube, so he's not as directly, but you know, she reports to him. He's this is his. He's not punting at all. I think it's both problems. Both of those problems are tough problems and the fact is they're not very far along in some ways on either. I think um, you know, they talk about the progress that they make all the time, but, you know, we've seen the last few weeks. They're very far from a good place with YouTube.
0: You mentioned Susan Wojcicki, and, and you're uh, talking to me today from Scottsdale, Arizona, where you are for the annual Code Conference. And she was on stage there yesterday. And, and walk me through this a little bit. She began, or at least at, near the beginning of her interview, she apologized, particularly to, to members of the LGBT community, uh, for some stuff that had been on the site earlier and for a situation they had had. But the way she phrased it was, Something and tell me if I'm wrong here. We apologize if you were offended. And then during the Q&A session, you kind of called her out on that. Walk me through that.
1: Sure. So she didn't say that. She started out with, I want to apologize to the LGBTQ community. You know, last week, it was very hurtful. So the apology initially, you know, was pretty straightforward. It wasn't, I'm sorry if you were offended. But then as she got into it, she basically said, I was involved in all these decisions. I agree with them. So it was kind of like, you know, it started occurring to me, to lots of the people um, that were following along with what I was writing on Twitter, like, what is she actually saying sorry for? Um, And so I followed up in the Q&A session. I said, are you sorry for some specific action, or are you just sorry that people were hurt? Um, And she started out again saying, you know, no, I'm really sorry, but then, you know, really basically saying, you know, we did the right thing here, and so... Um, yeah, I think I think it was more the latter. I think it was more, you know, people got hurt because our rules are what they are.
0: There is no solution to this that will satisfy everybody, correct? I mean, you're you're, you're going to obviously have kind of the libertarian free speech purists who who are going to argue, you know, anything should go. You're going to have folks on on the far side of the other end of the spectrum, basically saying, and there was even the suggestion, right, that YouTube should be basically pre-screening them and have this giant list of things you can't
1: do. Is
0: there any way for YouTube to, quote, get this right? Or is it always just going to be different degrees of wrong?
1: I think it absolutely is going to be the case that, you know, there are going to be people upset no matter what they do. I think that is part of it. I think they could have clearer policies and they could enforce those policies. I think that's as close as you're going to get to right. It's not that everyone's going to be happy. There's literally no way that that will happen. I think, you know, an ideal world is more... There's clear rules of the road, and more often than not, they're able to stick to those. And I think right now, there's neither of those things. There are some rules of the road. They're not super clear, and they're not really able to enforce it just because of the scale of the problem. I mean, I I don't want to also make it seem like these are, you know, bumbling people that can't do it. These are super hard problems. Um, but, yeah, you're going to have people on, on various sides that are unhappy. I think if you look at last week in the specific case with Steven Crowder and uh, Carlos Maza, I think nobody was happy, and it wasn't because Google somehow magically handled it right, and so everyone was a little upset. It was more like everyone was upset. They didn't, they didn't really do, do a great job uh, of handling it and then of communicating.
0: Ina Freed, Chief Technology Correspondent for Axios, thanks so much for joining us. My final two right after this. Axios gives you the news and analysis you need to get smarter faster on the most important topics. In our unique Smart Brevity format, we cover topics from politics to science and media to tech. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com and now back to the Pro Rata podcast. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is the Sprint T-Mobile mega merger, which, if approved, would reduce America's number of mobile carriers from four to three. But that approval, which once seemed almost certain, is now facing new jeopardies. So we already knew that the head of the FCC, which has signed off, plans to meet this Friday with the head of the Department of Justice's antitrust unit which hasn't. But now comes word from Reuters that 10 states attorney generals will sue to block the deal. Not only could that give DOJ more ammunition, but it's just certain to gum up the overall works. Now we don't know exactly what the AGs are going to sue based on, but we should learn more this afternoon when the New York Attorney General, who's leading this push, plans to hold a press conference. And finally this morning, Axios and SurveyMonkey recently asked U.S. adults about the topics they wished were covered more by the news media. The top answers, healthcare, followed by the climate, and then education. But when we went to traffic analytics company Parsley, which tracks over 2,000 media publishing sites, we learned that those top three subject areas ranked fifth, seventh, and 11th in actual reader consumption. In other words, the things we think we wanna read about aren't the things we actually read about. Instead, what we read about, the top three there, national security, politics, and sports even though, again, people claim they don't want those topics covered so much. Sports, for example, came in 14th in terms of what people want covered, but third in terms of what those same people actually read. Axios' to Sarah Fisher writes about these results, quote, this behavior is a symptom of our era of passive news consumption. When news is sprinkled into our social media feeds and accessed in other on-the-go environments, the items that will satisfy us in that moment will be the ones that get clicked. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producer, Sam Gentile and Tim Shovers, have a great national corn on the cob day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata podcast.